0: The book of Acts is one of my favorite books in all the Bible because it's so adventure-packed. It has so many good stories. But really because you see the Holy Spirit and God beginning to work in the New Testament church. You're seeing the transition of how God is going to use the church. And I believe with my whole heart that God still works through His church, just like He did in Acts chapter 2, just like He does in, in, in the entire book of Acts. I st- still think God's what wants to work in his church. We'll start reading in verse number 10 of Acts chapter 4. We'll only read a few verses, so please do your very best to be very attentive as we read. Acts chapter 4, verse number 10 says, Be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole, This is the stone which was set at naught of the builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name given under heaven among men, whereby we must be saved. Let's have a word of prayer and ask the Lord's blessing on the sermon tonight. Lord, I pray tonight that you would use me. God, I pray that you would use your word. And I pray that the Word of God would be quick and powerful and effective when it comes to speaking to the hearts of every person in this room tonight. Or there are so many sidetracks, so many different things that can sidetrack us and, and distract us from the preaching of God's Word. But Lord, tonight I pray that each and every person, each and every Christian child of God would focus their heart on what the Word of God is saying. Lord, I pray that it would not be me speaking tonight, but that it would be your Holy Spirit speaking through me. I pray that you would please do this in your name, and in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Tonight I want to speak to you on this simple thought, keeping it straight. Keeping it straight. At the ranch, I have the opportunity to work on some pretty heavy equipment. We have a about a hundred horsepower tractor, and we do some plowing, and we do some drilling. And uh, this last year, the a burden of planting the crops fell on me. I'm not sure why I got chose to sit in the air-conditioned tractor, but when he said, you take the air-conditioned one and I'll take the one without a cab on it, I said, you don't have to ask me twice, amen? And so I jumped in the air-conditioned tractor. I had the the what we call the grain drill on the back. You fill this hopper, this grain drill full of seed, and you set out on drilling this field with the seed that's in the hopper. Well, I wanted to be as professional of a seed planter as I could because I've never really done this before. And I realized what would look very unprofessional is if my rows were crooked. Because you don't want your rows to be all wobbly and weavy like you were drunk. That's normally how uh, my driving is, but I didn't want my uh, seed planting to be that way. So I wanted my rows to be as straight as I possibly could and so what I did is I embarked on trying to figure out the best method for making a straight row. It's very difficult you see, you would think it would be much easier than it is but with such a large tractor and on ground that has just been freshly plowed it is very, it has a lot of humps in it and so it's not at all flat and so the first method that I tried was I tried getting in the tractor and starting right down the field edge and going and planting right along the field edge. Now what I realized is, fields, although may look square, are not always perfectly square. And so some of them have a little bend here, or a little bow here, and and probably that was a result of somebody plowing it in an incorrect way, but uh, nonetheless, I realized that my idea, and my thought of planting straight down the edge of the field, would not result in a straight row. And so I Then began to look at other means and methods, and so I then decided to keep an eye on my front left tire, which is the edge of the row, and I figured that if I could keep my eye right on that tire, I could tell when it was getting off to the right or to the left, and I could fix it. And so as I did that, I realized that slowly but surely I was getting off of my main row where I should be planting seeds. So eventually there would be a pretty large gap in between where I should have been planting and where I planted the last row. And so they weren't straight at all. And so I tried another method, and, and this is one that I thought would work. I just held the wheel as straight as I could. In this tractor, I've got the wheel right here. It's got the deer right in the middle. Anything else is a sin against God and probably blasphemy. Yet John Deere right there. Nothing runs like a deer. And I'm looking at it. And my idea is to just drive straight without ever correcting the wheel. And it worked for a while. But what I realized is since the ground is not flat, even very heavy equipment can somehow get tossed to the side... And the ground will make it where you're no longer planning a straight row. So I was almost out of ideas and options. And then I just said this. Well, here's what I'll do. I'll pick an object at the very far end of the field. So I'm starting on this end of the field. And I said, I'll pick an object on the very opposite side of the field. And I'll never take my eyes off that object. And as I drive, I will never veer, I will never look away, I will constantly look at that that object, and if I go right, I go right, if I go left, I go left, but I'm going to try this. And so what I realized is, when I would get all the way done, it would feel like I wasn't straight at all, but when I got there, I would look back and see a perfectly straight row every time. Now what's very crazy about this is, you don't really know if it's straight until the seed comes up. Because you're just looking at a big field of dirt. i tell you what I realized. A lot of our lives, we are not sure whether we're walking straight or living straight. And we're not able to tell until the seed comes up. And if we were to be very honest with one another, sometimes our seed does not reflect straight rows. But I did realize as I looked at the field, the only time I was able to maintain a straight line was when I kept my eye on something in the distance. Did you know that I believe the Bible teaches this principle as well? The book of Hebrews, chapter number 12, verse number 2 says this, Looking unto Jesus... The author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, the Bible teaches that we as Christians walking this journey, trying not to get too far to the right and trying not to get too far to the left, as we walk this journey and as we plow our row, we are to keep our eyes on nothing else save the Lord Jesus Christ. But sometimes the distractions of this world, they just sidetrack us. And while we try our very best to be fixated on the one thing that matters, sometimes a job gets in the way. Or sometimes our family can even get in the way. But the Bible states that we are to look at the Lord Jesus Christ and never take our eyes off Him. So tonight all I want to do is I want to talk to you about keeping your eyes on Jesus. Keeping your eyes on Jesus. I want you to notice, first of all, in verse number 7, He is the footing of our belief. He is the footing of our belief. Verse number 7, Acts chapter 4, says this, And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have you done this? Now what are they talking about? In chapter number 3, the Bible tells us a story of an impotent man who was seated by the beautiful gate. And as they would come into the temple, this man would beg alms and ask for help. And he asked this of, of Peter. And as they passed by, Peter, being the Baptist that he was, said, Well, silver and gold have I none. He was broke. That's how you know he was a Baptist. And he looks at this man and he says, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have... Give I thee, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. The Bible says that the man did not just only stand up, but the man leaping up stood. Leaping and praising God, he ran into the temple. And I can just imagine the scene that this would have caused. With everybody walking into the temple that day, with what I would refer to as a stale religion at the time, this man walks in there saying... Glory to God in the high because obviously you gotta get a little gravel in there, you gotta get a little hop in your step. For some reason you clear out your path. Get, get out of the way, devil. Glory to God. And that's so that I'm sure that's how he went in that day. Leaping, glory to God. That's I'm sure that's how he went into the temple that day. And he walks in there and everybody's looking at him saying, What in the world is going on? And they recognize it. That it was him that sat at the beautiful gate and begged. And somewhat of an uproar happens here. And so now a council with a bunch of big wigs of religion call Peter in front of them. And they ask Peter to answer for what had happened. And so, verse number 7, when they say, by what name have you done this? They're talking about by whose name, by whose authority have you done this amazing, wonderful miracle in this man's life. Verse number 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, If we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole, Verse number 10, I love this, Be it known unto you all, And you know he's a southern Baptist, no, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. He's a Baptist from the South, he says, you all. He says, be it known unto you all, and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. As Peter stood on almost what is a trial for his faith, They ask him, they say, Peter, what do you believe about this Jesus? Who's given you the authority to go around doing these amazing miracles? Peter, what is it that you think about this man named Jesus? Peter is literally put on trial for what he believes. And I love Peter throughout the entire gospel because Peter reminds me a lot of me. And the fact that he says a lot of dumb things. That's probably where the similarities stop, however, uh, Peter was an amazing preacher. He preaches at Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost. I mean, Peter becomes this amazing man for God, a preacher of righteousness. And so as they put him on trial, they say, By whose name have you done this? Peter says, I want to be very honest with you. I want you to listen up here. And he probably had a little hand clap here. That's what preachers do. Amen. When they get into it. That's what they do. So Peter says, I want you to listen up here, boys. By the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. This has happened. Did you know today that Jesus Christ is under more attack than has ever been in the history of mankind? Because now not only what hap- is happening is the world continues to attack Christ's name... But the problem is, this new idea of church has begun to attack Jesus' name. You see, people no longer believe in the deity of Christ. People no longer believe that He was God in the flesh. They no longer believe that He actually rose on the third day. They believe that His disciples snuck Him away, or they believe they were talking about a spiritual resurrection. But I'm here to tell... See that preacher clap? Did you, did you see that? you see that? I told you, I'm a little bit like Peter at times. Now, wait, something dumb's going to come out here pretty soon. But I tell you, what Peter was saying is, Jesus Christ, and I'll stand in defense of Jesus Christ, and I'll go to the grave for Jesus Christ, but this church, this idea that Jesus was not God, I tell you, it breaks my heart. You say you don't believe me, Brother Angie. I don't believe that a church could attack Jesus or who he really was. I figured he'd say that. So I have a video to play for you tonight. Brother JT, will you please play that video I have up there?
1: I'm delighted to present my latest book, In Defense of Israel. This book will expose the sins of the fathers and the vicious abuse of the Jewish people. In Defense of Israel will shape Christian theology. It scripturally proves that the Jewish people as a whole did not reject Jesus as Messiah. It will also prove that Jesus did not come to earth to be the Messiah. It will also prove that Jesus did not come to earth to be the Messiah. It will prove that there was a Calvary conspiracy between Rome, the high priest, and Herod to execute Jesus as an insurrectionist too dangerous to live. Since Jesus refused by word and deed to claim to be the Messiah, since Jesus refused by word and deed to claim to be the Messiah, how can the Jews be blamed for rejecting what was never offered? Read it in the shocking expose in defense.
2: They come by the thousands to non-denominational Lakewood Church, a former basketball arena in Houston, Texas, filling it to the rafters they come hungry to hear firsthand Joel Osteen's message of empowerment and inspiration. My message is a message of hope that God
3: is a good God and that no matter what we've done, where we've been, God has a great plan for our lives. And when we walk in his ways, that he'll take us places we've never dreamed of. Can you give the Lord another shout of praise
2: today? Osteen preaches his own version of what's known as the prosperity gospel, that God is a loving, forgiving God who will reward believers with health, wealth, and happiness. It's the centerpiece of every sermon. I want you to get a bigger vision.
3: There are exciting things in your future. Your future is filled with marked moments of blessing, increase, promotion. God has already ordained before the foundation of the world the right people, the right opportunity, time and chance are coming together for you. Why don't you get your hopes up? Why don't you start believing that no matter what you have or haven't done that your best days are still out in front of you it's an appealing comforting message and he follows it up with advice if you're not making as much progress as you would like here's the key don't lose any ground keep a good attitude and do the right thing even when it's hard when you do that you are passing the test and God promises
2: your marked moments are on their way you said I like to see myself as a life coach a motivator to help them experience the life that god has for them people don't like to be beat down and told you've done wrong
3: what do you mean well i think that most people already know what they're doing wrong and for me to get in here and just beat them down and talk down to them i just don't think that inspires anybody to rise higher but i want to motivate i want to motivate every person to leave here to be a better father a better husband to break addictions, to come up higher and to walk with the Lord. I mean, is that being a pastor or is that being Dr. Phil open? No, I think we use God's word. I think the principles that you hear Dr. Phil and some of those others talk about many times are right out of the Bible.
2: Do you ever fear with this message of optimism, you may be misleading some people, that some people think, well, gee, if I just think positive things, my life will turn around. And for some people, that never happened.
3: Yeah, I don't fear it because we don't just teach that. Because I teach that even in the tough times, you have to embrace where you are, know that God's given you the strength to overcome. You can even be positive in a negative situation, and it'll help you to stay filled with hope.
2: Osteen can afford all this because of the money the church brings in. But he doesn't solicit contributions on television. Why don't you ask for money during your television broadcast? We didn't want anything to distract people when they were watching to try to
3: turn off the message. Because we know how people are skeptical of TV ministers. Hey, there's a guy who just wants my money, that's what. I didn't want any of that. But you do want their money. Well, we need people to support us so we can't <laughs> stay on, but we don't get on there and ask for it. And it's amazing how people can see that you, when you're genuine, uh, they send money.
2: Buckets of money. Over 43 million a year gets collected in the church. Another 30 million or so comes in the mail. It's a cash cow and a family business. Osteen's brother, sister, and mother are ministers in the church, but the real money for Osteen comes from his book sales, which are repackaged versions of his sermons. His latest book, Become a Better You, for which he reportedly got a $13 million advance, debuted in October at number one on the New York Times bestseller list and is on the list today. The book lays out seven principles Osteen believes will improve our lives. To become a better you, you must... Be positive towards yourself. Develop better relationships. Embrace the place where you are. Yeah. Not one mention of God in that. Not one mention of Jesus Christ in that. That's just my message. There is scripture in there that
3: backs it all up. But I feel like, Byron, I'm called to help people. How do we walk out the Christian life? How do we live it? And these are principles that can help you. I mean, if there's a lot better people qualified to say, here's a book that's going to explain the scriptures to you. I don't think that's my gifting.
0: Did y'all hear what he he said? He said there's not one mention of Jesus, not one mention of God, and he says, well, I don't really feel that's my message. My message is to help people walk the Christian life. That's what I mean is we've gotten off track. You see, if Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith, I would assume he would have some input in the middle. If he's the Alpha and the Omega, I figure he's somewhere in between. <laughs> it's like eating an Oreo without any cream filling. Who wants the cracker? What a shame. What a shame these men. Joel Olstein literally admitted that he doesn't know the Word of God. He has the largest church in America, and he said, Well, I don't feel like my calling is to tell people what the Bible says. What's your calling? In another video, you know what him and his wife, who is also pastor of the church, said? That they would both attend a homosexual marriage. Well, maybe that's because he doesn't know what his Bible says. You see how we're veering off track? It is not that Christ is only under attack from the world. Man, that's been happening since he walked this face of this earth. He was under attack while he was here. He promised he'd be under attack while he was gone. He promised that. Man, that's been happening since he was here. But I'm here today to tell you that he's not only under attack in the world. He's under attack under our noses in our very churches. What is it that you believe about Jesus? Jesus. Well, I sure do believe this. I believe that he was God in the flesh. I believe the Bible clearly spells it out. I believe in Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6, a prophecy concerning the Messiah of Israel. The Bible says, "For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the and the government shall be upon his shoulders and his name shall be called." Now pay attention. Wonderful. Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. You see, even the Old Testament declared that Jesus Christ would come as the Messiah, but He would not only come as the Messiah, He'd come as God. Anybody that denies that Jesus was the Messiah doesn't understand what the term means. The Bible literally says the term Messiah is translated the Christ. Well, what a shame it is when preachers won't stand up and preach that Jesus Christ was God in the flesh. You see, not only did the Old Testament say it, Jesus out of his very mouth claimed to be God. The Bible says in John 6, 35, I am the bread of life. The Bible goes on to say in John 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. The Bible says in John 8, verse 58, before Abraham was, I am. You may recall a time in the Old Testament when there was a burning bush standing there looking Moses in the face and said, Moses, you better take off your shoes because you're standing on holy ground. Well, why is this ground holy? Who are you, bush? The bush looks at Moses and says, you tell him that I am sent you. Jesus was not hiding who he was. He claimed to be the I am. John chapter 10, verse 9. I am the door. John chapter 10, verse 11. I am the good shepherd. Jesus says, I am the resurrection. John 14, verse 6. I am the way, the truth, the life. I am the true vine, John chapter 15 says. You see, Jesus Christ was not only Messiah. He was the Son of God and was God. What a shame he's under attack in our churches today. He's not the Messiah. Oh, yeah, then why did Andrew run to his brother Peter and say, Hey, Peter, you've got to come see this guy. We have found the Messiah. How come when Herod asked who was to be where the Messiah was to be born, everybody that knew anything about the Bible says, "Oh, well, he's to be born in Bethlehem." What a shame! The Bible is so clear. Jesus was God. Not only was He God, but He became flesh for us. I not only believe He was God; but I believe He died for the sins of the world. John chapter one. One of the most emotional scenes in all the Bible when John's sitting there baptizing person after person, proclaiming the way, making the way straight for the Lord Jesus Christ. He looks up in verse 29, the Bible says, The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold! the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. You tell me John didn't know what he was talking about? His whole purpose for existence was to point out the one who would be the Messiah. And he looks up that day in verse 29 and says, There is, y'all. I believe he came for the sins of the world. John chapter 3, verse 16, Jesus says... Everlasting life. Mark chapter 10 verse 45 says, For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. Well, what's He going to do when He gets here? And to give His life a ransom for many. I'm here today to tell you, not only was He God, but He became flesh so that He could die for my sins. If He was man, it wouldn't have mattered if if He would have died. He had to be God. There was no angel good enough. There was no body good enough. Only the Lord Jesus Christ's precious blood being spilt for the sins of the world. Not only for the world's sins, because I don't really care about that. What matters to me is it was spilt for my own sins. Only that would work. Only that could justify a man. I'm here today to tell you, not only was he God, Not only did he die for the sins of the world, but this is very important because you don't have a complete gospel until you got this. He rose in victory on the third day. You see, it's just too obvious. The Bible spells it out time and time again. John chapter 2 verse 19, Jesus prophesied that this would happen. He says, destroy this temple and in three days I will rise up. And everybody looks at him and says, are you talking about this temple? This temple took us years and years and years to build. The Bible says in the very next verse that Jesus did not speak of the temple that they were talking about. He spoke of the temple of his body. Jesus was prophesying in John chapter 2 what he would eventually come to pass in some borrowed grave somewhere. He was prophesying his own resurrection. John chapter uh, 3, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 28, verse 6 now, I think if anybody would be a, a, someone who would have an idea of the situation at hand, it would be an angel. The Bible says that an angel came down, and he says, He's not here, for he is risen. As he said, Come see the place where the Lord lay. The angel announced very quickly, Why seek ye the living among the dead? Why, why are you looking in the graveyard that some, for somebody that should be up and walking around? Oh, it's so obvious. I just don't understand how a preacher can read the Bible and not see that Christ was not only God in the flesh, did not only die for the sins of the world, but that he rose again on the third day. He didn't need his disciples' help. In fact, the angel needed his help to roll the stone away. You understand, this is absolutely absurd. Preachers are attacking the Bible. Oh, what a shame it is. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul tells us, For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. You see, what Jesus said would happen came to pass. What the Old Testament said would happen came to pass. The Bible goes on to say, "...and that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve, and after that he was seen above five hundred brethren at once, and of whom the greater part remain unto this present day." But some are falling asleep. After that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. And last of all, Paul goes on to say this, he was seen of me also. Oh, there's no doubt Jesus Christ was God in the flesh. There was no doubt he came for the sins of the world. There was absolutely no doubt. You ask Paul, you ask one of those fishermen, you ask one of those disciples, you ask any of them, they saw God. And I'll tell you what, this is another thing, you ask me. You ask me if he's up and alive and walking around because he lives within my heart. I don't need some theologian who's uh, rusted out and molding on the sides. I don't need some theologian who barely knows his uh, uh, Bible from his Koran. I don't need some theologian to look at me and tell me that Jesus Christ was not God. I don't need him to look at me and tell me Jesus Christ didn't die for my sins. I don't need him to tell me that Jesus Christ did not rise again on the third day. You know what? As far as I'm concerned, he can shut... He is yapper because God lives in my heart. I know my Redeemer liveth because He lives within my soul. Oh, He's under attack though. And it's such a shame because He is the very footing of our belief. If Jesus did not die, if Jesus did not raise again on the third day, I'll tell you what, I also believe He's coming back. You know why? Because He's already done the hard part. He already died on the cross. He already rose in victory over the grave, but this is what Jesus said. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. Now, notice this. I love this. That where I am, there ye may be also. Oh, man, I tell you today, I have no doubt about it. One day I'm going to be probably sipping on a Dr. Pepper, laying a lip lock on a sweet tea, have my face in a steak or something like that. I act like we have steak a lot. Probably a Snickers bar. And I'm going to be minding my own business. And one day I'm going to see Jesus Christ coming back to claim his bride. And I'm thankful today to tell you without a shadow of a doubt in my mind, I'm part of that. And I'll look up at him and I'll see him riding on a cloud. And I don't really know if that's a figure of speech or I don't know if he's going to be cloud surfing. All I know is Jesus Christ will say, come on up. Oh, I'm so thankful. And despite what people will say, despite people who attack him, I was on a, a website today that has nothing to do with the religion and they started attacking Jesus. Nothing at all to do with religion, and they started attacking Jesus. Look, Jesus is the very footing of our belief. So if he is that, and we're going to keep our eyes on Jesus, I think we better get what we believe down. I believe that we ought to know what we believe. I believe we ought to share what we believe. Oh, what a shame it is that people are attacking Christ, and we are... Two, And I'll just be very honest with you, too cowardly to stand up for him. What a shame it is. He is the footing of our belief. I want you to notice this secondly. He is the foundation of our beginning. He is the foundation of our beginning. Look at verse number 11. This is the stone which was set at not of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Now, this is Peter preaching, and he tells them, and he talks about the cornerstone. And if anybody knows anything about stones, it ought to be Peter. Because one day Christ looked at him and says, Peter, you're a little rock. And I'm ad living here. I'm not quoting the King James Version here. But he says, you're a little rock. But upon this rock, and Jesus was not talking about Peter, because Peter's a little rock. He was talking about his own self. He says, but upon this rock... I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The Old Testament claimed that Jesus Christ would be come from Zion and he would be the head cornerstone. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of our life and of this church. But see, cornerstone is not a term we're very familiar with. I remember we decorated a cornerstone. We engraved a cornerstone here at the church. We had a reveal that night we all walked up from the south property. We had the torches. I've even seen a picture with me in my blue jeans and my t-shirt, and I'm like, why did I tuck it into my pants? That, that looked goofy. And if you tuck your shirt into your pants, you probably look a lot better than I did, just saying. But we have a cornerstone, but see, we don't really know what a cornerstone is. We use foundations, and that's our term. The very beginning of a building is the foundation. It's the very first thing you do you go scrape up a piece of ground and you get your foundation right. But see what a what a cornerstone is, is it was the very first piece of stone laid. It mattered so immensely because if that one was off just a little bit, as you went further down along the building or as you went further along the, the structure, you would notice that While it may have been just a fraction of an inch at the cornerstone, it got worse and worse and worse the farther you got away from the cornerstone. One day I was planning to build a parking garage there at my house. And uh, I knew the dimensions that I wanted, but I didn't know exactly where I wanted it laid out. And so what I decided to do was, do my own little redneck engineering and I figured out a way where I could visualize exactly the dimensions and where I wanted my pad to be located. You know, the building's really unimportant if you get your pad right because the building automatically sits on the pad. So I had to get the, the, the foundation right. So what I did is I went and I grabbed some yarn and I took hunting arrows because they were sharp and I could stick them into the ground. And I would tie arrows, uh, tie the yarn onto the arrows, and where my corners were, I put one arrow there, and I went down. And I took another piece of yarn and tied it across, and so I had my 90-degree angle of my foundation there. Now, I got to my back corner, I did the same thing, and I, assuming it would all work out in my redneck engineering... I took the back corner to the front corner, the final stretch of building, and I realized that I was off. You know why? Because my first arrow was off. My first angle was not a perfect 90 degrees. And while it looked good to me, when you got further away, you realized how really far off you were. And after attempt on attempt on attempt... I finally got it where I had 90 degrees all the way around and I had my foundation. I was able to look and say, I'm not even close to where I want this building to go. And I had to move it all again. You know what? Jesus is the cornerstone. You get Jesus wrong, you get everything wrong. The truth of the matter is Jesus is the only thing that really matters. And if you did not believe on him in faith at the very first of your salvation, you got it wrong to begin with. But I'm here today also to tell you that you not only got to believe on him, you've got to start living in him. Jesus is the foundation of our beginning. Colossians chapter 2 verse 6 says this, "As As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted up and built up in him, and established in the faith. You want faith? You live in Jesus. You want roots? You want to stand strong for what you believe so that every wave of doctrine comes down the pike? You won't be tossed to and fro? You want roots? You live and walk in Jesus. He is the foundation of our beginning. I want you to notice thirdly. He is the fix for our birth. He is the fix for our birth. Verse number 12. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name given under heaven, given among men, whereby we must be saved. As I was watching videos today on Brother Olsteen, tell you what, that's something that will make your day. As I was watching videos of him, he went to an interview. And it was Oprah Winfrey, standing, the, the theologian Oprah Winfrey, sitting in the other chair there. And she said, do you believe that there is one God? And Brother Olstein knows enough about his Bible to say, yes, I believe there's one God. And she then asked him, do you believe that there are many ways to that one God? Brother Olstein said, well, I believe that there is, Jesus is the only way to God, but I also believe there are many ways to Jesus. A politically correct answer. The Bible is very clear. There is no other name. And you know what's so sad about this? There are some really good people, better than me, better than you, going to be in hell. I'm talking about some real good folks going to burn in hell for eternity. You know why? Because they messed up on Jesus. Because they did not recognize him as Lord and Savior of their life. There is none other name given under heaven among men whereby we must be saved. You see, the Bible makes no bones about it. There is no other way. I got lost the other day and got turned around and I, I missed my turn coming back from a basketball game. And the guy's like, oh, I'll just take this turn right up here. and So we got back on this road and we went and cut through some areas, some shady areas. And and uh, after we bought some roses from a Hispanic fella and they were giving away food uh, at, a, a, at a food bank, we, we finally got back on the road. You see, I didn't take my preliminary route, but I found a secondary route. There is no rerouting when it comes to salvation. There is only one way. The Bible teaches us that in Adam all shall die, but in Christ all shall live. It says that, The condemnation was passed from Adam our father, and whereby in Adam all die, in Christ all shall live. By the disobedience of one, many shall die. By the obedience of one other, many shall live. You see, Christ is the only way. I remember after we had my daughter, uh, uh, Caitlin. The very first thing they did was they handed, well, the doctor said, wow, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> I told you all the story about the little TCU girl standing over in the corner. It was her very first birth to ever witness. She stood over there and she's, you know, her eyes wide open. She was a nursing student. She kind of short on breath. Don't, don't straighten your knees. You'll pass out, girly. She's standing there beholding everything there is to behold I said, ma'am, I'm sorry. She goes, why? Why are you sorry? This was amazing. I said, well, ma'am, you've witnessed the best. Now it's all downhill from here. <laughs> and uh, I don't even know where I was going. The very first thing the doctor did was they took, uh, she took that baby and handed her to Amy. You know what the very first thing Amy did? She counted her fingers and toes. Just one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, 8, nine, nothing. One, two, three, four, six, seven, 8, nine, nothing. Yeah, what are you doing? And she wanted to make sure that our daughter had exactly what she needed. She wanted to make sure that there were no defects. Have you ever seen those pictures? Maybe you're familiar with some baby that was born with a cleft palate. What a sad thing for a mother to have to see that. And there that's not only one of the things, I mean, there's a lot of things. I remember going up to to the hospital with the Dyers, and I hope y'all don't mind me mentioning this, they were talking to the Dyers, they got some paperwork wrong, and they looked at them and said, we're going to have to do a blood transfusion. We're going to have to stick a needle in one arm, we're going to have to stick another needle in another arm, and we're just going to drain him of all the blood he has, and then we're going to put new blood in him. Could you imagine as a parent, I looked at Miss Dyer and I said, boy, I can't imagine that. Imagine your child being born with a birth defect. The Bible teaches that you and I were. We were born with something that we could not get rid of and yet was going to limit us. It was our sin nature. There was nothing we could do in and of ourselves to take care of that. It was was our cleft palate, if you will. It was our heart condition. It was our failure. It was our sin. And it would not go away. And there was nothing we could do. I don't care how much money you give to charity. I don't care how many people you help. I don't care how much you do at the blood bank. I don't care. There was nothing you could do. But the Bible says, For yet when we were without strength, In due time, I love that. In perfect time, almost with a heroic summons, the Bible says, Christ died for us. Oh, We were limited. We were on our way to spend a Christless eternity in hell. And you know what? To be honest with you, that's exactly where we deserved to be. Thanks be unto God, being such a compassionate and loving God... Christ came and died for you and me, and he took care of our birth defect. Not only does he fix our birth, I want you to notice this, for the fulfillment of our blessing. You see, Christ is not only all of these wonderful things. What is it that turns us from a child of wrath, the Bible terms us as at enmity with God, against God, Children of the devil, what is it that changes that so now that we are in the blessings of God? Well, it's not because we've had a change of mind. It's not because we all of a sudden cleaned what was behind our ears and now God looks down at us with favor and says, No, you know what? You deserve my blessings now. And guess what? We're still as filthy as we were before we got saved. You know the difference? Now we are viewed through the righteousness of Christ. The book of Isaiah puts it like this. We are clothed in his righteousness so that anything that is unappealing, anything that is unattractive, anything that would look gross or uncomfortable, anything that is filthy about us, you know what the Bible says? Christ takes all that and wraps us in his perfection. And that's why we're blessed. Not because we've all of a sudden changed our mind and changed our ways. Did you know that if God did not have a respect of persons before you got saved, He didn't start respecting you after you got saved. We are blessed because of our relationship with Christ. Did you know that Jesus even teaches us that when we pray... You know the reason we say, in Jesus' name I pray, amen? Because if you don't pray in Jesus' name... You were never promised to have your prayers fulfilled or answered. Jesus says this, "...and whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it." You see, our prayers would fall on deaf ears if it were not for our relationship with Christ. They would get no higher than the ceiling. If you've ever been there where it feels like your prayers don't get higher than the ceiling... You're praying to God, and God would just turn a deaf ear. But someone seated on his right hand, and he says, Did you hear that? Father, did you hear that? He asked that in my name. He knows me. And because he knows me, you can now show him favor. What a blessing. Oh, it's not because you've cleaned up, dressed up, and looked up. No, that ain't it. It's because you are a child of the King. You are His Son, and He looks at you through the perfection and righteousness and loving eye of a Father looking at His Son. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 25 says, Wherefore He is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by Him, seeing He ever liveth to make intercession for them. See, not only does Jesus sit on the right hand of God, which is exactly where he deserves to be, he now is asking God to do things for us. He's praying for us. He's asking for favor for us. And he's saying, God, help my my child. God, help my child. Help your son. Help him in this time. And he ever lives to make intercession for us. Oh, The reason we are blessed is not because we deserve it. Would anybody say amen to that? The reason we are blessed is because we know the right person. My dad had me at 50 years old. And uh, I heard yesterday that apparently one of the famous painters, I can't remember who it was, but he had a child when he was in his 70s. So that was pretty impressive. I always thought that dad being 50, I always tell people, I always say, can you believe that my dad threw this at 50? I mean, this specimen at 50 years old? But because he had me at such an advanced age at 50 years old, and I don't mean that in any way derogatory, so if you took it that way, shame on you. But since he had me at 50, when I turned 15, he was what age? 65. You're with me. And if you didn't answer, you can go to the bathroom, flush your head in the commode, and then come back and wake you up. But I was 15 and he was 65. Well, there was something amazing that kicked in at 65 that I had no idea about. It was called Social Security. Amen. That is. Maybe people start liking you and they have to stay liking you because it's socially secure. I don't know. And turns out one day my dad comes to me and hands me a $250 check. I'm like, what's this? Made out to me and everything. He says, well, son, because I'm 65, they give you some money to help you live. And I'm like, well, I need help living. Help me live all you want, government. Well, my mom was getting the same thing, about two hundred and fifty dollars at that time. When when Dad turned sixty-seven, I think it was, hers dropped off. But not only did hers drop off, I started getting hers, (laughs) and Mom got so mad, and I was oh happy day, oh happy. It was amazing. For three years, I got paid because I knew my dad. Because I was my dad's child. No other reason. I didn't change what I was eating. I didn't change what I was doing. I didn't start working for the government. No, 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 no that. Because my dad was alive, I was being blessed. When I turned 18, the government apparently thought I no longer needed help living. But if they come watch the way I live, they would see again, you need as much help as you can get. Because I was my dad's child, I was blessed. You know the reason you're blessed? It's not because you're clean, not because you're good, not because you do things right, not because you're a good person, not because you're a charitable person, not because you care about others. No, 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 no. You know the reason you're blessed? Because you're a child of a Heavenly Father. And because you know him, and he knows you, you're blessed. I'm just going to say, I will go to the grave preaching Jesus Christ. I'm not going to change my stance on him. The Bible never changes, neither does he. He's going to be God tomorrow, just like he was yesterday. He still died for the sins of the world uh, all those many years ago, and He still saves people today. He's going to come back one day, and I'm going to be here to say, I told you so! I told you so! He said He'd come back, and He did! But while I'm on this earth, you know what? I'm going to praise Him because I love Him, and He loves me. I tell you what, there's a lot of times I veer off the row. I, I start plowing a little crooked. I may get off course, but there's one area that I will not compromise. I will not change. I will not back down. I will not surrender. I will never say never. You know what it is?
2: Jesus.